My name is Andy Reiner, and this is the 12th episode of River of Suck Podcast. It's been one year of getting at the heart of what makes us human, swimming with thought piranhas, and having fun. I've learned a lot about a lot in this time, so thanks for joining me on this thought-provoking adventure. This episode was recorded live at Fiddle Hell. The Fiddle Hell Massachusetts Festival is a yearly gathering of fiddlers, cellists, mandolin, guitar, and banjo players, and singers to meet, jam, learn, listen, and have fun. Learn more about Fiddle Hell at fiddlehell.com. Our guest today is Alex Hargraves, a brilliant violinist and fiddler based in Brooklyn, New York. It was a total blast to jam and talk shop with a hotel suite full of fiddlers and other acoustic musicians. Let's go live. Here we go. Welcome, everyone. We have a live studio audience here today for... Woo! Yeah. <laughs> Fiddle hell. We're all here together. We have hundreds of fiddlers in one hotel. Our next victim on the River of Suck podcast is Alex Hargraves. Hey, everyone. Thanks for having me. Yeah. I went to a workshop with Victor Wooten, and he told everyone that you needed to be the youest you that you can be. Anytime you're trying to be someone else, take their ideas. But at the end of the day, you wake up every day and you're like, here I am. It's me again. Hi, world. And you're, you're just stuck being you. So instead of wishing you could be like someone else, steal their best ideas and then try to do better with your own voice. And part of what makes this instrument, the violin or the fiddle, so unique is that every person sounds completely different. What makes you your youest you? Wow. Um, well, I do feel like that's an ongoing process that never really ends. Maybe it's easier for some more than others, but I find that when I spend too much time thinking about who I am, like what my musical identity is or whatever, mm -hmm. I get a little too overwhelmed with that. So I, you know, if you have faith in the process of learning music that speaks to you and that inspires you, that's going to all just feed into your unique voice rather than sitting around thinking about, oh, who am I? Like, I feel like I just have to trust that, you know, if I learn a Stuart Duncan solo, I'm still going to like not hopefully not sound like a Stuart Duncan clone, you know, even though he's one of my favorites. No, but then you have access to his best ideas. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, actually, that could be kind of cool. <laughs> yeah. It's like taking a book out of the library. Yeah. I would like to have this solo in my possibility repertoire. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Maybe some people have different experiences with it, but I feel like it's kind of just a never-ending process. And as long as you keep exploring things and being true to yourself, I think that's all you can really do. Are there any things you do every day, little like rituals or habits that you have? I have been trying to practice uh, long tones every day. It's kind of mm. like a meditation. And even if it's just for five minutes, I still feel like it really helps me out. And that's the kind of practice that I think I kind of neglected for a really long time. But there's something that's really grounding about doing that. And not only do I benefit from it technically, but I just feel like it helps me kind of like settle in with my instrument physically and figure out where I'm, there's unnecessary tension. And yeah. So I've been trying to make that as consistent as possible. Cool. Yeah. 
I saw you at Rocky Grass. I think we were both drinking coffee because it was the morning. Mm-hmm. And you said, hey, nice to see you. I'm going to go practice long tones by the river. Oh, you nice. just disappeared over an edge. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, ideally, if you can do it by a river, it, it, it helps. That's like a river jam. Yeah. The river has something to say, too. It does. Yeah, Colleen. I would like to know what a long tone sounds like. Oh, what is the long tone? Yes. Great question. <laughs> um, well, I'll do it sometimes with the metronome, sometimes without. With the metronome, I tend to do it at like 40 or slower, like 40 equaling the quarter note. Depending on how I'm feeling, sometimes I'll do a double stop scale. So I'm kind of like killing two birds with one stone, working on double stops at the same time. Um, but... If I'm really not feeling warmed up at all, I'll just start doing like a single note scale. Um, Just literally really slow bows, being extra aware of how you're using your right hand. And for me, I notice when I like get close to the frog, I start to tense up my back too. It's so trying to think about the big picture, not just like your bow hand and you know, but really thinking about your whole body and how you're using it. So that's what I'll do. Yeah. If I'm using a metronome, I'll try to get slower and slower because, you know, it's, again, slow practice is so important. And right. rather than working your way up in speed with the metronome, you know, for a change, sometimes it's nice to try to do the opposite. And, and you know, so when you have more space between the beats, it's, you know, it takes a lot more kind of focus to stay in time you mean metronomes are our friend sometimes you use in moderation though that is important they they can be harmful as well at what point is it harmful who knows what the actual line is but i think you should just balance it it should do about 50 50 there's a point where it gets crossed yeah and you know (laughs) you want to work on your own internal time in ways that the metronome can't really help with you know the music that grooves the hardest is never metronomic. So the metronome can be helpful for certain things to kind of you know frame what you're practicing and help out with new rhythms you might be working on. But you want to spend just as much time practicing rhythm away from the metronome. So the river of suck is a mythical river. You're standing on one edge. That's the comfort shore. Behind you is your comfort cave. And you can look across the river to see in the distance little tiny future versions of yourself who can do the things you wish you could do now. But the problem is in between, we've got the river of suck, which is full of whitewater rapids, rocks, and thought piranhas. This is my friend, Mary Schallert. She came here from Anchorage, Alaska. (laughs) We're going to have her say a a word or two about the river. We were having a nice conversation yesterday after the bluegrass concert. Tell us about your rock jumping theory. When you live in Alaska, you end up with a lot of river, mountain, fishing metaphors. And so this particular one is about crossing the river 
when you're crossing a river in improvisation, there are certain rocks that are safe rocks. And you learn what those safe rocks are. It's good to learn the safe rocks first before you experiment with the other rocks that might get you across. <laughs> might not. You might fall in the river. But if you fall in the river, then you just have to figure out how to get yourself back. can be quite dangerous because <laughs> piranhas. But I think piranhas are an important part of the ecosystem. And I was trying to think, yeah. how do they – we don't have piranhas in Alaska. We have salmon. <laughs> <laughs> Thought salmon. Thought salmon. Thought salmon. Thought salmon are delicious. Bears eat them. You know, they're part of our ecosystem. Very important part. But crossing the river, so there are certain notes. So you say you're in the key of D. So all the natural notes and two sharp notes are going to get you safely across the river. And then after a while, you start experimenting. I call it note fishing. You don't know how a song goes. You've heard, you're hearing it for the first time, but if you know what key it's in, then you can, in traditional music or in community-based music, call, uh, go note fishing and then find your way around. And the best fishing hole is the key that you're in. So <laughs> learn your keys. And that's really it. Cool. Mary Schallert. <laughs> Special guest host. My question to you, Mr. Alex, is where do you see the River of Suck in your playing, musically or in your life otherwise? I feel like it's something that's kind of always there, right? And we're always just, and it always presents itself in new ways. Mm -hmm. So I think, I don't know if it, if it ever really goes away so much as just like trying to f kind of figure out how to cross it before the next one comes around, you know, and there yeah. will be another one. <laughs> um, but I think for me, the baby steps is always key. Mm -hmm. Just, you know, one thing at a time. Right. And that is kind of the key for when I kind of come up against big challenges. Right. So you have to suck at something before you can be good at it. Are you yes. saying that occasionally you suck at something on the fiddle even? All the time. Oh. Yeah. Tell us about it. <laughs> um, well, sucking at something is very, you know, it's very subjective. So right. I feel like a lot of it is the headspace I'm in. And I've been trying to get better about even if I feel like I had a, a bad gig and I really, you know, played like crap. I still, you know, sometimes can sabotage the whole gig. I've, yeah. I've been trying to kind of turn that into like, okay, accepting that I'd messed up and instead of that turning into like my identity as a person and, you know, all of your flaws in life, instead <laughs> just being like, okay, you know, on a cosmic level, this doesn't matter at all. And <laughs> I'm playing music and playing music is fun. Yeah. <laughs> so that's, that's what I'm practicing. <laughs> you mentioned mistakes. What is a mistake? Well, that's the thing. What is a mistake? Part of it can depend on, you know, the, the situation and the type of music you're playing. And obviously, there sometimes you just play a wrong note or if it's composed music or if it's somewhat improvised, but in a more controlled manner. And, you know, you very clearly just played a wrong note that you didn't mean to play. And that that happens. But, you know, a lot of my favorite improvisers, I feel like, are really masters at turning what would ordinarily be a conventional mistake into right. something that's actually a cool musical moment. Yeah. 
you know, Wayne Shorter or Vassar Clemens or, you know, a lot of people who are just such masters at playing in the moment. Yeah. Those people come to mind. When they play a note that no one else would play in yeah. that tune at that moment. And you're like, ooh. <laughs> yeah. But because it's actually so different, our ears, I think, are kind of drawn in. I think it's a matter of playing it like you mean it. Exactly. Yeah. If you're tentative about it, that's where confidence will make or break your, your moment. Yeah. I mean, it's such a cliche, but it, I think it really is true. If you're just like kind of owning what you play and... and <laughs> turning it into something. If it doesn't come out the way you expected it, you can still do something with that, you know. Well, that's the thing. If it's improvising, how do you know what it's supposed to come out? Exactly. Because if you're truly improvising, you don't know what's about to happen. So people get caught up in this sounding good stuff. I want to yeah. sound good when I play music. But the paradox is that the more you think about sounding good, the more you get into the downward spiral of thoughts. What do other people think about me? What do yeah, they think about right. my playing, my tone, my ideas? You have to, They're yeah, judging those, me. Those, you have to watch out for those spirals. Those are dangerous. And that's where you got to catch it before you, you like start going down too far, you know? Right. But those thoughts, those are the thought piranhas. Ah, uh, okay. Right. Thought piranhas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've turned a couple corners rapidly since talking to people about this every month. Now I'm trying to live a fear-positive life. Fear is not a negative emotion. Mm. You're a human. You have fear. You will not erase fear. If you suppress your emotions, if you bottle them up, if you put them in your emotional basement, they will come back to haunt you later, and it'll be much worse. If you live a fear-positive life, you accept that I'm afraid of things, and that's okay, mm -hmm. and I'm aware of this fear, but I know... <laughs> if I take that next step, it's going to be valuable. And that is actually the path to growth mm, is yeah. by taking more chances. In Amen. A, yeah. How do you live a fear positive life? I'm just curious who in here can name an example of like facing a fear. Going to work every day. <laughs> Going to work every day. <laughs> yeah. You can be afraid of public speaking, but force yourself to do it. And then it's easier every time you do it. You mean like what I'm doing? <laughs> Performing the first time on a stage, you know? Performing on a stage. Yeah. Oh, yeah. and then, <laughs> right. <laughs> totally. Yeah. An example that I recently heard was the idea of standing at the top of a ski slope and getting a lot of anxiety over standing at the top of it and then starting and then realizing it's not as bad. Right. And like channeling yeah. fear into just like, we have to get to the bottom or otherwise... Nothing will happen. <laughs> yeah. The longer I stand on top of something scary, the, the harder it is to make that first turn. You're standing up there like, oh, God, this is scary. It's not like a musical situation where if you play a wrong note, no one gets hurt. In certain mountain situations, you know, if you fall, it could be catastrophic. So how do you make that first move confidently? You've got to make that move. And then if you do it with confidence, it seems easy. If you do it and you succumb to the fear, then it's hard. And that's when you start tumbling. Try not to tumble. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, Linz. How about practicing being honest with people even when that's scary? Ooh. Yeah. Practicing being honest with people even when it's scary. River of Suck swim team member, Linz Moran. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that's the River of Suck. I think we should play a tune. Let's do it. You have anything in mind? I was thinking about a swampy version of Old Joe Clark in the key of E. Cool. I like the swamp. Yeah.
So I, I also talk to scientists on this podcast, and one of the great things about scientists is they don't take their mistakes so personally as musicians. Mm. You know, you ask a scientist what a failure is, and they say, well, my experiment didn't go the way that I planned. It was a negative result. We need to design a better experiment. This is not how musicians talk about their own playing. <laughs> but if we applied what they're talking about, maybe that yeah. would inform how we practice. Yeah, totally. I love that idea. Just kind of like, instead of thinking of it as some sort of like drill that you have to do, just thinking of it as an experiment and kind of like an exploration and just seeing kind of what you come across. Suck Swim Team Facebook group, and there's a picture of Alex Hargraves, and people are asking questions. Natalie Padilla asks... Hi, Natalie. Hi, Natalie. (laughs) Special guest of episode three, actually. Yeah. If you have an hour to practice where you're not learning music for a gig, how is it spent? It really varies. I still try to start off with playing really slow, probably starting just focusing on bowing, but then either playing a tune and like improvising as slow as possible and really honing in on all the details, you know, maybe working on some Bach, but playing it extra slow, find all the areas of tension that I'm holding in like my back and anywhere in my body and kind of just sink into it Hmm. and feel gravity and just kind of try to get centered. That'll be the first part of it, no matter what. And then after that, honestly, it it really varies. It kind of depends on what I'm checking out. And sometimes I'll use that as an opportunity to just learn a song or like a standard or a fiddle tune that I've been meaning to learn for a while and, you know, learn it and then use that as kind of a platform to work on whatever technical or conceptual, you know, roadblocks arise from that. I would probably benefit from having something a little more consistent, but that's usually what happens. I mean, I might stick with something for like the course of a week, like working on some Bach or something like that. Mm-hmm. I've never had a super set routine other than kind of like that first 10 to 15 minutes. So we should do what we're telling our students to do? Yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to remember, what have I, what have I told my students to do? <laughs> thirds and sevenths. I do work on thirds and sevenths. That is not, yeah, I don't just say that. <laughs> ah, yeah, nice. But yeah, I guess starting off playing, and like whether that's through the context of learning a tune or just playing a tune I already know, trying to like get through it without stopping. Oh, yeah. And then just kind of seeing what comes of that. I mean, you know, all it takes is one pass through playing a fiddle tune, and I'm going to find something that is bugging me. And it might just Mm -hmm. be an intonation problem, so then I'll work on intonation. It might be like this chord is throwing me off, then I'll work, go down that rabbit hole. I just kind of like let myself go down rabbit holes. You're actually saying that you try playing it first with a performance mindset where you don't stop for an error, and then you come back and think about what. Yeah, that is something I try to do a lot of. Yeah kind of take mental note, ideally record as much as possible. I try to record myself on gigs and kind of whenever I'm playing. And, you know, so you can always listen back on it. And the idea is, you know, when you're actually playing with people and you're on or you're on a gig, you don't want to be thinking in that kind of analytical way. 
you have different priorities. You're making music with people. You need to be present and not yeah. think about your own stuff. That's why when it's when you practice, it's extra important that you become like obsessive with all the little details and record yourself and listen back on everything and think about oh how is this really how I want to hear it like in an ideal world or how would I maybe want to hear it differently and be yeah. you know super analytical with that stuff. But then at, at the same time, letting that all go out the window when you play and right. just letting it go. playing on the radio yeah you're, you're playing on live from here with chris thilly how's that going it's a lot of fun yeah <laughs> always a wild ride for sure do you ever feel nervous playing with people who are your heroes i mean chris seems to bring on whoever he wants musically and then you guys have to like adapt yeah i mean i definitely have gotten nervous plenty of times but um i try to kind of just channel that energy more into just you know, the excitement of getting to play with folks like that. And I've been doing the show enough, uh, long enough now to where I don't get as nervous as I used to. <laughs> ah. Would you call it like a high pressure situation Um, for you? Yeah. It, I mean, the fact that it's live radio most of the time definitely adds to the pressure. But, you know, right. at this point, I've found that there's no point in really thinking about that. And, you know, you just try your best and it's it's never going to be perfect. But that's just... That's life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can't go back and fix it. You get one take. Yeah, but that's part of the you know the show is it's like kind of capturing that live element and right. It's almost like people like live music, and it doesn't need to be perfect, and that's okay. Raise your hand or make a verbal sound actually if you feel like you ever get caught up in this worrying while you're playing thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you don't say so. Yeah. <laughs> So, so do you have any like secret mental strategies when those thought piranhas enter your mind right. and you're on stage, you're trying to make it happen. You have to do it. Right. You can't just like run away. <laughs> like what, what's the process of kind of bringing yourself out of the downward spiral? Some things that help me are kind of, you know, similar to actually what I was talking about when I do those longbow practicing exercises, just like kind of like asking myself a series of questions about if I'm holding tension in my body and like how I'm standing, how I'm like feeling gravity, these kinds of like questions that may seem like super unrelated in the moment actually really help me kind of become more focused. And I'm not thinking about, you know, messing up or some like hard line that's about to happen. Like, you know, <laughs> it's just, it kind of helps me get centered and, uh, and then also just kind of tuning into what the other people on stage are playing and just like mm. appreciating that and just enjoying the music and, you know, playing with great musicians. And right. that helps me get away from those thought piranhas when they start coming in, you know? Yeah. This is one of the applications of the youest you. You're there because they wanted you. If they wanted mm. someone else, they would have got someone else. So you're there. All you need to do is be yourself and be real. That's the way to do it. And being yourself means that you're not perfect because you're a human, not a robot. It's hard to get out of those 
those moments, but it, it is. But we got to get yeah. through them somehow. You got to get through them, and I think again, accepting that they will always be there is part of it. You know, you kind of just figure out these little tricks for yeah. how to distract yourself, basically, and stay in the moment. And I will say, um, reading and taking some Alexander technique lessons has been really helpful mm. for me with that stuff. And I, so, I don't feel like yeah. I can really like do it justice, like explaining what that technique is because it's like a you know a thing that people get trained to study sure. but i highly recommend checking out like books on it and you know boston has great teachers for it and that kind of stuff is related to what i was talking about with like kind of asking yourself questions about like how you're standing and things like that well as in alex maybe alexander <laughs> technique fits really well yeah it's not my technique just to just so you know sometimes i have to clarify that <laughs> I want to open it up a little bit to see if anyone has any questions that they would like to ask Alex. Hey, um, hey. I'm just wondering uh, how often you look to other instruments, maybe outside of the fiddle, um, and what players you listen to to get inspiration, where it's not just listen to a bunch of fiddle tunes and fiddle players, like maybe right. listen to guitar players or like like jazz piano players or like things like that to get new ideas. All the time. I'd, I listen to mostly non-fiddle players I guess you know I mean I do listen to a lot of fiddle players but still when I factor in like all the music I love to listen to a lot of it doesn't have bowed strings in it at all I always love trying to get inspiration from all kinds of music obviously in jazz there are a lot of you know listen to a lot of horn players and pianists and like I mentioned Wayne Shorter earlier he's one of my favorites uh Coltrane um I just you know, I'm always, I just saw Fred Hirsch play in New York last week, and that was one of the best shows I've seen in a while with uh, Joey Barron on drums. It was really great. I love drummers. I love, you know, percussion traditions from, like, West Africa and Cuba and Brazil, and that stuff is really inspiring and interesting to me, moving. and um, So, yeah, and I, you know, it's same with, I try to, you know, sometimes play, you know, like I play piano a little bit. I don't have any technique on it, but I, you know, I like to kind of work on music through an instrument like that that I don't have technique on, and it kind of helps me see things from a different perspective. Question. Yeah. Do you ever play in different tunes, the two of you, in different tunes? Not a whole lot. I'd, yeah. It'd be, yeah. It's something I haven't really messed around with. Should we pick a key first? Yeah, let's pick a key. How about, I don't know, G? Sure. Let's, let's keep our G strings. I'm going to bring my C up to a D. Do you have an e F? E up to an F. Oh, cool. A down to a G. Yeah. Yeah. 
if we want to hear more of your music, where can we find it? I've been playing a lot with uh, this guy, Sam Ryder, and he has a band called The Human Hands with uh, some good friends of mine, and it's been a whole lot of fun. It's based out of New York. play with the Jacob Jolliffe Band. I recorded a record with them not too long ago. And, uh, Did you play with Wes Corbett? Yeah, we just recorded his debut album a few months back, and so hopefully we'll do some more playing with that band, but that was, that was a whole lot of fun. And you can turn on the NPR, and that's where you can hear live from here. Yep. And you've got a solo record under your name? I do. It's, it's a little outdated at this point, but it is out there. So your USU has, like, grown. It that's has. Cool. Do you not want people to hear it? Because it's the old you? Oh, that yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I will say um, I don't sell it very often. <laughs> because of that but that's you know those are the thought piranhas like people don't in. buy like, it or you don't bring it to sell. oh i don't bring it to sell oh. <laughs> yeah but yeah <laughs> Now I'd like to present Alex with this River of Suck swim team shirt. Is it an honor? <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I, I really appreciate you being here and talking to us about some uncomfortable things. My pleasure. <laughs> Happy to do it. No one ever said crossing the River of Suck would be easy or that you had to do it alone. So thanks for joining us. My name is Andy Reiner. My name is Alex Hargraves. Till next, next time, time, keep swimming. <laughs> Thanks to the River of Suck swim team for your support. Join the swim team for $1 a month at riverofsuck.com to support the podcast in a big way and you'll gain instant access to extended interviews and music downloads. For this episode, that means a pile of wild fiddle music. We'll see you next time for an interview with Dr. Temple Grandin. <laughs>